I want to read this morning from the book of Acts. The book of Acts actually gives us a record 50 days after the resurrection. It's actually the day of Pentecost is the passage that I'm going to be reading from. It's Peter's message. I would, uh, I know you're comfortable, but I'd ask you to stand one more time. I want to read two verses. So let's do this together. Acts chapter 2, verses 22, 23, 24. So three verses. You can't see that very easily, can you? All right. All right, let's, let's read together. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, supposed to be 22 through 24. All right, just listen to me, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Bow your heads with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious God and Father, thank you for this amazing time this morning as we come to celebrate your presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus for moments, what no man can do. Call hearts. Call the names of your sheep. Speak, O Lord, and bring those out of death and bring them into life. Let the resurrection of Christ that we celebrate today be a celebration, O God, because someone comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and resurrection has occurred again. We pray for that today in this time together. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated together. In the presence of the Lord, I'm excited this morning to share with you just for these few moments regarding what I believe to be the literally most important day in the history of humankind. It was the weekend that changed the world. It really had set itself up to be one like multitudes of others that Faithful Jewish pilgrims had seen. Peter stood up in this message that I just gave you 50 days after the resurrection, and he preaches literally a man possessed by the Spirit of God. But let's do a flashback for just about two months prior. Let's go back about 60 days prior to this day on Pentecost Sunday, which would put us 10 days before the crucifixion and the resurrection. Peter is literally just triumphant and jubilant at what God has done over the last three and a half years of ministry. He recalls the day that Jesus first came strolling up the dock there on the Sea of Galilee and Peter was mending his nets beside his two best friends, James and John, and Peter grinned that day as he recalled that Jesus called them sons of thunder because those two fishermen had a little bit of a temper. and they were, they were rowdy, salty fishermen. They were real people, real men in a real world. Not realizing that they had the privilege of living in a time where they would see the close of one age and the opening of another, and their lives were about to change dramatically, and their destinies were about to be set into place. Because Jesus walked up and he said two simple words, follow me. 
And there was something so incredibly magnetic and drawing about these words that these men laid down their nets, literally abandoning a lifelong career and began to follow and to become a disciple of this new teacher. This new teacher that they followed up the side of the mountain and he preached an amazing sermon and gave these things called the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs shall be the kingdom of heaven. And he literally marveled crowds and the disciples gathered around Jesus. It wasn't just Peter, James, and John, but nine others, 12 in total that Jesus had picked, handpicked himself, had chosen to come alongside him for, they didn't know the duration. They thought it would be forever. It would last. But what would become a three and a half year ministry, a journey that would come to an end. Peter on the day of Pentecost preached because he was on the other side of the circumstance. I just want to say to some of you this morning, the hope that I want to bring to you is based on a fact in history. It is not merely a symbolic resurrection. A symbolic resurrection is worthless. Easter among some liberal Christians this morning will be preached as, no, we don't necessarily believe that he actually got up out of the grave, but it was the rebirth of hope. And it's no wonder that churches that preach that kind of, a, of emasculated, that kind of truncated gospel that are literally bleeding at the great aorta. They're losing millions of members a year because they've, they've given way to humanistic thinking. But I want to come to tell you this morning that I believe in the Bible as the word of God and the truth of God. And I believe 12 disciples saw him get up out of the grave. And I believe 500, the book of 1 Corinthians says, were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. So Peter's on the other side of the grief. Peter's on the other side of the sorrow and wondering if it at all had been in vain. He's on the other side of having seen a resurrection. But we slip back in a flashback this morning for just a few moments. And Peter recalls some of the amazing things that had happened in the life of this teacher, Jesus. He was with him when he did his first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And his mother had come to him and said, they're out of wine. And He said, no, don't trouble me, woman. It's not my time yet. And it what literally appeared to be more faith in the heart of the mother than in this one that they had begun to follow. She said, whatever he says to you, do it. That calls something forth. He called for the servants of the wedding and they began to bring water pots of water and somewhere along the way, the water was turned into wine. Jesus' first miracle was making a party better. And you tell me that God's not interested in having you filled with joy and a life that is driven by purpose and and giving you something to celebrate about? Jesus' very first recorded miracle was to make a party better. They'd run out of wine. He took water and turned it into wine. Peter continues to recall the amazing stories that Jesus did. There was a woman at a well and Jesus literally read her mail had a discussion about who was a prophet and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And and, and there was a day that Jesus came alongside a man who was lying at a pool of Bethesda, been laying there 38 years, comfortable in his state of disability, almost celebrating his handicap, talked with the language of a victim and said, there's no one to help me into the water when the angel comes to stir the water. And Jesus looks at that man and he says, sir, will you be made whole? It's up to you. 
Peter is recalling, thinking about these amazing things over three and a half years of hearing a teacher teach and hearing the Son of God preach and, and seeing him lay hands on sick people. Blind eyes are open. Just a few weeks after that, he saw a man who had been born blind and Jesus laid hands upon him. And all of a sudden, a restorative miracle had taken place. And he who had never seen from birth all of a sudden began to see. And he was called before the Sanhedrin. Miracle after miracle, preaching, excursion, evangelistic campaigns, moving all around the Sea of Galilee, down to Nazareth, up to Jerusalem, all over the land of Israel, moving through Samaria. He's testifying of the great works of God. And Peter and James and John and all of the other 12 total disciples are seeing the amazing works of what Jesus did. And this thing rolls down to Holy Week. It rolls down to the time where they're preparing for the Passover. Not unlike they had done literally hundreds, now thousands of years since the Passover had been instituted by the federal head of the great covenant. Moses had put this into place. The children of Israel had been rescued out of Egypt and delivered by the blood over the doorposts. Pharaoh had held them captive for 400 years and had driven them into a place of slavery. In the midst of all that oppression, they continued to multiply. You want to know why that happens? Because you can't stop the seed of God. The Passover had been put into place. It was something now that God said is going to become the beginning of months for you in your spiritual journey. It's going to mark a time. This is where your deliverance came. The lamb was slain. The blood was shed. It was applied to the doorpost over every person who had to eat the lamb. And they got up and left Egypt the next day. And it wasn't just a scanty, uh, a little uh, deliverance, but they went out carrying all the riches of Egypt with them because Egypt was so ready to get rid of them. How many of you know when God delivers you, he can deliver you in some abundance? And so now for... A couple of thousand years, year by year, the first month of every religious calendar, the third month of our civil calendar, that's why we have Easter, March, or April, which depends on the Jewish calendar of the 28-day period. That's the reason that Easter shifts, because it's supposed to be aligned with Passover, because Jesus Christ became the Passover lamb for us. So... Peter is recalling on this week. He's actually thinking back to the time when, when Jesus asked the disciples, whom do men say that I am? And they answered with some good answers. Somebody said Isaiah. Somebody said the prophet Jeremiah. Another one said it's John the Baptist because he'd been beheaded. He's been raised from the dead. And Jesus looked at them and said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, raised his hand, being the, the great pupil in the class. And he looked at him and he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed this to you. Peter also remembered the stinging rebuke that came right after that because Jesus talked about having to go to the cross and give up his life. And Peter said, Oh, not so, Lord. And Jesus looked at the one who had just confessed him as the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and he had to look at him and say, Get behind me, Satan, for you don't savor the things of God. Jesus was headed to Calvary. It was the predetermined, the deliberate plan of God, the foreknowledge of God, delivered into the hands of men who freely chose themselves to carry out that plan. But the disciples didn't understand it. 
They didn't know what was going on. They, 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 they were thinking that, hey, listen, we finally got a king now who's going to come. And it was just the last couple of days that he rode into Jerusalem and they cut palm branches and waved them. And they said, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But something was strange in the atmosphere The sound of bleeding sheep was heard all over Jerusalem as faithful Hebrew pilgrims were getting ready to bring sacrifices for the sins of another year. Because the old covenant only rolled sins of one year over to the next one. As they stood in that place and they start to smell the smell of blood that is being shed, they're gathering for the Passover Jesus had given word and said, go find a room for us. And they found an upper room together where the 12 disciples sat down with Jesus and they celebrated the Passover. And Jesus had been saying some strange things throughout the three and a half years, but it seemed like the last six months that all of these ideas about the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus is talking about these things and, and, and Peter is recalling what, what is happening because it's like the, the Messiah, the teacher, this great prophet, this, this king, this, this one that we know that God has sent is constantly talking about being lifted up on a cross. It can't be so. Jesus had just said previously, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And they're coming down to what they think is going to be a, a standard Passover. But they don't realize that all the lambs that are being prepared to be slain all over the city of Jerusalem are not really the main lamb that God's looking at. It's the one that's sitting at the table with them who raises the cup and he says, that night he broke ceremony because there's a very typical pattern of several cups that are drunk during the Passover meal. And Jesus lifted up this cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you for the remission of your sins. This is the blood of the new covenant. Just before that, he had lifted up a a loaf of bread and broken it and blessed it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And Peter's thinking back to the time when Jesus fed the 5,000, which literally was over 20,000 people because they didn't count women and children. And he remembers that, that occurrence that's later recorded in John 6 when Jesus looks at his disciples. He looks at the crowd and he said, except you take my body and eat it and to drink my blood and let it become part of you. You are none of my disciples And it was a hard saying, and the crowd left because they didn't understand it. Jesus looked at the disciples themselves, and he said, Will you too leave me? And Peter said, No, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. All of this is rushing through Peter's head. He's now preaching on the day of Pentecost about God who raised up this Jesus. But think back with me. It's Holy Thursday. He's, Jesus has disrobed down to his undergarment. He's wrapped himself into a towel. And he's literally become the demonstration of, taken upon himself the, the picture of the lowliest servant of them all. And he's showing them that this kingdom that he's about to inaugurate and about to institute is one that actually begins from the bottom up. It's not a top-down hierarchy, but it's a serve from the bottom up and pick up the needs of people and love them with an everlasting love kind of a kingdom. Jesus has done crazy things these last few days. What what is going on? All this head to the cross, all this give his life as a ransom, all of this if I be lifted up kind of language. 
And he gets down on his knees and he washes all of our feet. And Peter remembers saying, oh, no, not so, Lord. And Jesus looked at Peter. Seems Peter's like every time sticking his foot in his mouth. I can relate to Peter. Anybody else in the room feel like you kind of really can, can understand Peter? Because he, he means well, but man, he just doesn't quite get it. He doesn't quite have the whole picture. And he gets his mouth in gear before he really understands this thing and gets his mind in motion. And Jesus said, if you don't let me do this, then you're not clean. You're none of mine. And then Peter says, oh, Lord, just not my feet, but my hands and my head. Just throw it on me. Dump the water on me, Jesus. I want to be yours. Jesus says, I've already spoken, and because of that, you're clean through my word, but I just need to wash your feet. They gather together, and Jesus is telling them some secrets about the coming kingdom and about the Holy Spirit who's going to come. And they're sitting at the table together in what looks like it's going to be a great strategy session for a new evangelistic campaign. And we're going to take another level after Passover passes, and we'll do something new and maybe take the kingdom to another degree And Jesus looks at the disciples and he talks about smiting the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Peter again gets his mouth open and sticks in his foot and he says, Oh, not me, Lord. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. I can imagine the shock on Peter's face. And and then there are the words whispered about a betrayer sitting at the table. One who dips his hand into this very cup with me will betray the Son of Man. And before they know it, the whole thing is broken up and they're separated and Peter and James and John are following Jesus at his request into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with him. Watch and pray with me. And he leaves them in a place to pray and he says, I'm just going to go a little bit further. And he kneels down and Jesus prays with such a degree of intensity. There is literally a medical condition that describes it, that the capillaries in his skin burst and he began to sweat great drops of blood. And he cried out and he said, Father, deliver me from this hour. And he said, no, it's for this very reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And he gets up in that place and he walks back past those sleeping disciples. And on the way out of the garden, here comes Judas. Behind Judas, he's being followed by a garrison of Roman soldiers. And Judas goes with a smile on his face that is a fake facade. And he kisses the cheek of the Savior. He had made a deal with the high priest selling the Savior for 30 pieces of silver. And he told them, the one that I kiss is this one for which you are looking. And they asked the question, where is this Jesus? Of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And when he says the words, I am he, it is with such power that literally the whole garrison falls to the ground. And they get up again and they begin to go through the process of arresting him. And Peter, once again, you gotta love this guy, takes out his sword and whacks off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. I tell you, I, I gotta love that. There's, a, there's just a little bit of WWE in Peter. There, 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 there's, 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 a, there's a little bit of kind of this whole thing in the martial arts these days. <laughs> Get him in the octagon. Peter's ready to open a can, baby. I'm telling you, Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. And he picks up the ear and he puts it back on the head of the servant of the high priest and immediately it heals. Jesus said, no, no, we're not going to do it like that. Before the night's over, you know the story. He's involved in three trials. He's spat upon. He's beaten, he's flogged, he's mocked, he's crowned with thorns. 
And all through that whole process, the disciples have all scattered. And Jesus is enduring, beginning to endure a a, a literal 24-hour period of just beating the life out of him. Jesus is headed for the cross and the disciples cannot even imagine what's going on because this one that they saw stand in the boat and speak to the wind, peace be still. And they're thinking, why doesn't he do something? He has the power to speak the word and literally bring death to all of those servants of Rome, the soldiers that are about to bring about his death. Why Why doesn't Jesus do something? And Peter is confused and he stands back and a young lady comes as he's warming his hands by the fire and he sees literally out of the corner of his eye his Messiah is being beaten and the young lady says you're one of the Galileans and Peter says no 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 I don't know him I don't know this man he continues to stand by the fire and warm himself and the cock crows once and Peter doesn't hear it and somebody else comes by and he says, you're one of them. And finally a third one does and says, your speech betrays you. You're a Galilean. And Peter curses, takes the name of God in vain. He says, I am not. I do not know the man. And he spits and curses and a cock crows. And Jesus looks at Peter and his face falls because he realizes what the son of God had just said, just came to pass. The cock crowed twice. The morning sun was arising on the day of Passover. And Peter had just denied the one that he'd given the last three and a half years of his life to. Jesus looked at him. Peter felt shame and guilt, but the look that was in Jesus' eyes was a look of love. It was a look of forgiveness. A cross was thrown on his back. Simon the Cyrene helped helped ending up carrying that with Jesus dragging his already beaten and tattered and bruised and broken body down the Via Dolorosa. The cross was nailed. Three spikes. Both hands. Both feet crossed. Roman soldiers pick it up and drop it into the ground. And for three hours, there was darkness over the land. And just a few words on the cross, Jesus uttered, Those as the disciples were scattered throughout the crowd and Jesus' own mother looked upon observing this horror. The heavens, the sun was darkened and it looked like the earth was going to come to an end. Like it was apocalypse being revealed. An earthquake took place. Jesus uttered words and a hush fell over the whole place. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Crucified between two thieves, one on the left and one on the right, and one who mocked and one who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus made a promise to that thief on the cross right there who said, today you will be with me in paradise. He hung on the cross. And in one last gasp, crucifixion literally is death by drowning because your lungs begin to fill with fluid and you're, you're, you're pinned up between heaven and earth, not nailed through the fleshly part of the hand because that would rip off. It was literally a nail that went through the wrist right here that held the bones impaled literally to the wooden cross. Another nail holding the, the feet and Jesus would literally push himself up to gasp, to get breath. And in the last moment before he passed, he uttered two phrases. He said, it is finished. 
And then he whispered, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And the darkness grew darker. And they took his body off the cross and they laid him in a tomb. And the disciples scattered. Everybody left. Those who'd followed him for three and a half years were all gone. There was just a little small group of faithful women who stayed at the cross. They were the last ones there weeping for the loss of a promise that they thought was to come. They took him off the cross and laid him in a rich man's tomb that was not even his own. Saturday, Holy Saturday, there seems to be a cloud over the whole celebration of Passover. Instead of it being a time of gaiety and happiness and joy, it just seems to be a time of great mourning and sorrow, a time of a lot of folks who've been disappointed. If anybody ever had a right to be, to be offended, it would be Jesus Christ because he was completely holy, righteous, and just and had the sins of the whole world laid upon him. They think it's over with. I don't understand. How could this possibly have happened the way it has happened? Sunday morning, some of the women get up to go back to the tomb. And they notice that the guards are gone. They see these two white angels in glistening garments. And they say, where have you taken my Savior? One of the angels said, he got up. <laughs> he is not here. He is risen. We rolled the stone away. Now, you've got to just, just indulge me a minute. Look at your neighbor and say, that's how he rolls. <laughs> <laughs> he rolled the stone away. And they walk through the garden looking for the one who is the Savior. Mary Magdalene sees him and he says to her, Don't touch me for I have not yet ascended to my father and to your father. What I want to say to you this morning, it was Thursday night. When he was going through it, Peter didn't understand it, that Sunday was coming. Friday night, Friday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning, Jesus is wounded for our transgressions. He's bruised for our iniquities. He's crowned and the chastisement of our peace is laid upon him. It's Friday during the day and Pilate has already said, I find no fault in him and the crowd has screamed crucify. They don't know that Sunday's coming. See, what I want to preach to you just for the last five minutes and I'm done is I want to tell you that right now you're going through circumstances that you're still living through and you haven't actually breathed through the process so that you come through to the victory on the other side. But I want to tell you the greatest event in history, the weekend that changed the world, was because they didn't stop on Thursday night. They kept on going and Friday he was crucified for us, but Sunday he was raised for our justification. Come on, put your hands together and give him praise this morning. It may be Friday in your life this morning, but Sunday's coming. And Sunday is coming, and I have hope to tell you today because it came in that moment that was pivotally going to change all of human history, the weekend that changed the world. Death could not hold him. Death could not hold Jesus on that day because the bosom of the Father chose not to hold him. He had agreed before the foundation of the world, I will go and I will be the lamb that will take away the sins of the world. And 4,000 years, the prophets are prophesying, the seed is coming, the seed is coming, the seed is coming. 
Isaiah looks over the balcony of heaven 600 years after he prophesied and said, A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. They laughed him to scorn when he wrote it down and prophesied it the first time. Six, seven hundred years later, he's going, I told you so. He looks over into the little manger of Bethlehem and he sees this one born where Micah says he would be when he would be born, where he would be born. And all of the major prophets of the Old Testament prophesied literally that nobody else in all of human history could fulfill the prophecies that had been made about this one that would come and change the course of history in a weekend that would change the world. He entered the womb of a virgin by the name of Mary, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, visited by the angel Gabriel that said, this thing, this holy thing, which shall be born of you, shall be called the Son of God. And the womb of the virgin could not hold him. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And the wise men came visiting, bringing gifts. And the angels proclaimed, and the shepherds worshipped God. And the manger in Bethlehem could not hold him. Herod set out a decree and said, kill all the boy babies two years and under. And I want to tell you that they escaped and the Messiah was saved because Herod could not hold him. The baby began to grow and he amazes his parents with his love for the law of God and the way he honors his mother and father and his attention paid to all of these things that are going on in Hebrew life and in Judaism. And at 12, he's found in the temple literally amazing the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asking and answering questions that they didn't have the wisdom to answer. Teachers of the law couldn't hold him. Eighteen years pass and he he comes walking up the road and he greets his cousin John who has entered a time of ministry because the Spirit of the Lord has tapped him on the shoulder and John really has no idea who it is but he starts preaching, hey, one is coming. The glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make your paths straight. Repent. He'll bring down every high mountain and raise up every low valley. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And the whole earth shall see it. And he's preaching. John's preaching by the river Jordan one day. And Jesus comes walking up the road. And the dust is swirling around his feet. He's heading down to the water. And John sees him like he's never seen him before. And A light comes on and a revelation dawns and his cousin John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He looks at his cousin and he says, Baptize me. John says, Oh, I'm not worthy. You need to baptize me. He says, No, allow it to be so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. His own earthly family could not hold him. His mom and dad could not hold him at 12 The scribes and Pharisees couldn't hold him in the temple. His cousin John could not hold him back. He enters at 30 years old the place of Hebrew maturity and he steps into the position of authority and he begins to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and teach the disciples and heal the sick. And his message was the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And all of Hebraism, the Jewish religion, could not hold him. He stared demons in the face and he told them to flee. And one day, 2,000 left a man that would kill kill others and that could not be chained. And all of the demons left him and went into a herd of pigs and ran down into the water and drowned. He was one that the winds and the waves and the elements of nature had to obey him. They could not hold him. 
Demonic principalities and powers, sin and sickness, darkness, everything imaginable had to bow before his feet. It could not hold him. So guess what? When it came the time for him to be all that God called him to be, and that was to become the fulfillment of his famous words, for God so loved the world that he gave God is a lover, and the first law of love is giving. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. And when it came time for him to do that, he took upon himself the sins of the whole world, and he took it down into the grave with him, your sin and my sin, dying with him. But he did not stay there. Romans 1 says he was declared to be the son of God by the resurrection. For hundreds of years, they'd seen the sacrifices be consumed by the fire of God. It literally came down from heaven onto the brazen altar the very first time that they inaugurated the tabernacle of Moses. It happened again at the temple of Solomon. It happened through the hand and the word of the prophet Elijah. Fire came down from heaven and it always depicted the wrath of God swallowing up the sins of man. But this time, the wrath and the fire of God that came down and took Jesus to hell brought him back up to show that his love is greater than his wrath. He was raised for your justification. Bow your heads with me, please, this morning. Jesus, we thank you that death could not hold you. We celebrate on this amazing day, Resurrection Sunday. We thank you that you took upon yourself my sin the sins of my brothers and sisters in this room, the sins of the whole world. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you right now reach out and draw the hearts, the lives of people, Lord, who are broken, who are hurting, who need hope. They're sitting in this room today. Thank you, Jesus, that you're our high priest. You alone are our mediator. We reach to you. I just want to ask you right now with every head bowed, every eye closed. What you've just heard, the greatest story ever told about the weekend that changed the world. About this one who conquered death and tasted death for every man. God is offering to you a free gift because that's what it was all about. He came and took upon himself death so that you could receive from him life. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it this way, the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become sons of God. John 1 says, For as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the children of God. Do you have him this morning? Do you know in your heart that he is residing in the temple of your body? It's very, very simple. You reach out in faith and you recognize that, that you're a sinner and need a Savior. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's just what I've preached to you this morning. That amazing story of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. I want to ask you right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you want to take that step of faith and cross the line of faith and say, Jesus, come into my heart, change me, be my Savior, be Lord of my life, I confess my sins. 
There's nothing magical about raising your hand. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I'm not going to call you to the front. Lights are down. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. I just want to ask you, would you like to be prayed for this morning? I just want to see a show of hands. I see one over here, too. Yes. Yes, around the room. I'm seeing several. Thank you. If you would just keep them up for just a moment. Anybody else this morning? Is another? Anyone else? That's, a, that's awesome. Praise God. I'm going to stand with you in faith. Now, the believers this morning, you've been walking with the Lord for a while, and just, just the awareness of the great sacrifice that he made for you has helped you to put back in perspective the stuff that you're struggling with as a believer. And you feel like God is calling you to once again trust in a fresh and a new way with a fresh start today because of the finished work. He said it's finished. You know he's begun a good work in you, and he's not going to let you go until he finishes completely in your life. But you just feel like the Spirit's drawing you to take a step and say, Hey, I want to see this resurrection power revealed in my life. Right now it's Friday, but I'm trusting God that Sunday's coming. Anybody in the room? Yes. Several hands around the room. Thank you. Hold them up for just a moment. Pray with me, saints. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I lift up. Lord, this first group this morning who've raised their hands on this Easter Sunday and that have said, Jesus, be my Savior. Forgive my sins. I repent. I turn. I make a U-turn. I I turn from the way I'm walking and living, and I turn my life, and I turn toward you in faith, and I ask you in Jesus' name to forgive me and come into my heart and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Show me my destiny to what you've called me to do and be. God, I thank you for all of those who raised their hands at the first part of this And Lord, now for those who on the latter part raise their hands. And Lord, they, they're struggling right now because of just almost feeling like hope is gone. They feel like Peter did on Good Friday when everything they'd invested their lives in seemed to have disappeared and Jesus was dead in the grave. God, thank you that you inject some hope into them right now because it may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. Thank you for the resurrection, oh God, that has changed everything on the planet. And God, you have made all things new now. Let us live in that awareness, I pray, in the name of Jesus. All of God's people said.